The scripture for today's sermon is Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21. So that is page 15 uh, in your pew Bibles. So once again, it's Genesis 21, the first 21 verses. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, time is a tricky thing. We talked last week about deja vu, which for my money is one of the weirdest human experiences. And it's almost like time is playing a trick on you. And then when you consider the past and compare it to the present, you wonder, does time actually go by quickly or slowly? And it's not an easy answer. We have expressions that give either answer. This time of year is always noteworthy to me because at right around this time in 2010, Jamie and Job and I were packing up all of our belongings in Kentucky. We were just fresh out of seminary, so we didn't have a lot of belongings to pack up. But we were packing it all up relatively quickly and moving here to, dance, to western New York to begin ministry. And that was 11 years ago now. But if you were to ask me, has that 11 years flown by? I don't even really know how to answer that. In some ways, yeah, for sure. Uh, for example, it seems like just yesterday that Job was wearing this, this little corduroy suit jacket that Jonathan was actually wearing yesterday. But when I, see, when I saw Jonathan wearing it, it seemed like just yesterday that Job was wearing that same jacket, and there's a big age difference between them. But on the other hand, our life in Kentucky 
it seemed like a lifetime ago. It seemed like a different, different eon. So fast or slow, I, I don't even really know. And as Einstein would probably answer, it's all relative. Well, it was 11 chapters ago that we were first introduced to Abraham and Sarah. In fact, they had different names back then, Abram and Sarai. And then the Lord calls them out of Ur, of the Chaldees, and makes them very great and precious promises. Promises about a land and promises about uh, a seed. Amazing promises, especially this latter promise about a seed. When you consider... I mean, it's an outlandish promise to make because at that time they were already elderly and we were told right off the bat, all the way back in chapter 11, verse 30, that Sarai was barren. Her womb was not working properly and she was unable to have children. Have these chapters gone by quickly or slowly? Well, I think the Bible would say it's all relative. For example, we read in Second Peter that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, but rather he is patient. On the other hand, we can't help but notice that the narrator here in Genesis has moved excruciatingly slow between the promise and the fulfillment. It's a bit like those, those beat-em-up movies that I used to watch when I was a teenager. I hope you won't judge me too strongly for this, but I liked, and it seemed to be a very popular genre at the time, to, to have these movies where there was a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat, a lot of fighting. And the fight scenes would typically be very, very fast, of course. And you'd have, say, Jean-Claude Van Damme in his stretchy pants and he would always be jumping up and doing splits and kicking some bad guy in the face and it would happen all very very quickly but to give us viewers the full experience the producers would replay that kick over and over again that same kick it would seem like there's four different kicks but no it's the same kick just repeated and it's like doo 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 but then the last replay, this, is, this was just classic. I mean, this is what they all did. The last replay would be in super slow-mo where you could see the full impact of the foot on the face, right? Frame, frame by frame, you could see the, the guy absorbing and buckling the kick. And, and you could hear his pained moan in slow-mo. It's like... And the classic shot was you got to see like spit coming out of his mouth and sometimes teeth flying out of the bad guy's mouth. It was wonderful. It was just wonderful. In the same way, from Genesis chapter 11 to 21, the narrator has slowed the action right down so that we could see every kick to the head every buckle, every exclamation along this painful path of faith from promise to fulfillment. But now the fulfillment is finally here. We have in this passage a bouncing baby boy. His name is Laughter. You've heard of some strange baby names, I'm sure. How about this one? Laughter. And appropriately enough, Laughter is a pun that forms the backbone of this passage. Besides Isaac, there are two main kinds of laughter that are raised in this passage. Two main kinds of laughter raised in this passage. And the first is a joyful laughter, and the second is a jesting laughter. A joyful laughter and a jesting laughter. If you're taking notes, those will, those will be some main points for you, headings. These aren't just the, the two main kinds of laughter in the passage. They are the two main kinds of laughter in life. If we're laughing in life at all, we're going to be laughing 
in one of these two manners. As the German theologian Karl Joseph Kuschel explains, there's a joyful, comfortable, playful, and contented laughter, and there is a mocking, malicious, desperate, or cynical laughter. There's a laughter for sheer pleasure in life and laughter from sheer bitterness or disappointment. So we'll get to hear both kinds of laughter in our passage today, and we'll want to evaluate what kind of laughter is typically on our lips. And what kind of, which one of these laughters is, is, is most often being raised in our life? We'll start with considering joyful laughter. You can hear the joyful, comfortable, playful, and contented laughter in Sarah's voice. In verses 6 and 7, it's the sound of sheer pleasure, if you can kind of listen to it through these verses, as this 90-year-old holds her newborn son in her lap. And the irony, the, the, the impossibility of this is not lost on her. Okay, She exclaims, Basically, if you want a, a message translation of, of this passage, who would have thunk it, Sarah says. A nursing nonagenarian. She's thinking to herself, I'm almost in diapers, and here I am putting diapers on my baby. And she fully expects that, that her laughter is going to be contagious, that, that everyone who hears about this is going to join in with her on the laughter. Not that they're going to be mocking her, but that they're going to, this joy is contagious. Sarah's expecting that Hallmark's going to need a new category of card. New baby, humorous. I don't think there is such a thing, but there ought to be. There ought to be when the Lord is at work. And, and you think about other times that the Lord has done amazing things like this. Fast forward a few thousand years to Luke chapter 1. And I don't think it's too hard to guess what sound might have been heard right after the pregnant Virgin Mary, get that, the pregnant Virgin Mary rang the doorbell of her relative Elizabeth's house. An elderly, formerly barren, now pregnant Elizabeth. I bet when they tried to embrace, but struggled because their bellies were getting in the way, I bet they had uh, just a really good laugh about the whole situation. And their laugh was a lovelier way of saying, can you believe this? What a mighty God we serve. Nothing, nothing is impossible for this God. And even the fetal John the Baptist gets in on the laughter. And in the presence of his younger but greater cousin, John basically jumps for joy in utero. He, he like swims a lap, laughing all the way. And Elizabeth says about Mary, she says, you remember, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now, I, I, I mention that last exclamation because these women... Elizabeth, Mary, and now Sarah in our passage, by their actions and by their responses, are helping us to understand what gives rise to laughter and joy in the first place. This is, this is helpful. We need to pay attention to this. Do you, do you want this kind of joyful laughter? Do you want that to be on your lips? Maybe by this point you're, you're already starting to wonder, where does this joyful laughter come from? I haven't had a good laugh in a long time. There, there seems to be a fundamental lack of joy in my life. And people can read it on my face. You know, I've got, I've got a furrow that's permanently etched into my brow. I've, I've got noticeable frown lines. They've kind of carved their way into my face. But I don't have many of those distinctive crow's feet that come around the eyes of seasoned laughers. I'm, I'm missing something. 
How can I get some of those really pretty crow's feet? Where, where can I get joy? Where can I have any kind of laughter in my life? Well, not only does our text answer that question, not only does it tell us what gives rise to joyful laughter, it goes a step further, and it tells us what joyful laughter in turn gives rise to. In other words, this passage shows us what joyful laughter results from and results in. Results from and results in. As to our first question, where does this, where does this joyful laughter come from? The text provides this, this answer. It results from the fulfillment of God's word. Write that down if you're taking notes. Joyful laughter results from the fulfillment of God's word. Why, so why are Abraham, Abraham and Sarah so happy? Quite simply, it's because of what God has done. I hope that's not too simple for you. I would just think, think a little bit deeper about this. What has God done? Again, very simple questions, very simple answers, but, but they escape us, so I, I want to force your attention on it. What has God done? And quite simply, he's done exactly what he said he was going to do. In other words, he fulfilled the promises that he had spoken to them. Now, in order for us, the, the author here, Moses, the narrator, in order that there would be absolutely no chance of us missing this point and this connection, he, he emphasizes it for us multiple times. So look at verse 1 with me, just for example. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. What? Wait, way too late? No. At the exact time which God had spoken to him. Do you see the emphasis? Just bam, 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 right from the get-go, right off the bat, even before we get to meet the little gaffer, the narrator is reminding us by threefold repetition that this child, along with all of the laughter that he brings, only has one explanation. And that is that God has done exactly what he said he was going to do. Joyful laughter, friends, I'm suggesting to you, results from the fulfillment of God's word. And we see this all over Scripture. One notable example is from Psalm 126. Psalm 126 is in that section of the Psalter that uh, there's a bunch of songs of ascent. These are songs that the pilgrims would have sung as they made their way up to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to keep festival. They like to sing together as we do, and this would be their uh, hymns of grace that they would sing. Psalm 126 goes like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Why, Psalmist? Why, where is all of this joyful laughter coming from? Well, you continue in the psalm and they, it goes... Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. That, that's, the, that's the logic of the song. But then, check this out. The very next verse of that psalm, 126, is a prayer. It's a request. And, and it goes like this. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. And you're thinking, okay, wait, Israel. What Has God restored your fortunes? You were singing a minute ago a really joyful song 
about the time when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. But now you're asking him to restore the fortunes of Zion? Is, this, is your song past tense or present tense? Or are you like some third grader who can't keep track of, of the different tenses of the verb? Is, is this time playing a trick on us once again? And I bring that verse up because it helps to establish a very important point, which is that in your pursuit of joy, you can actually take advantage of all of the tricks of time. What I mean is this. We, we, said, we said that joyful laughter happens when God fulfills his word and keeps his promises. So, so my question is, do you, do you have to wait until God actually fulfills all of his promises to you before you can have joy. No, I'm suggesting that you can experience joy and laughter even as you anticipate the future fulfillment of his promises to you. Were the promises that God uh, made to Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah, were they ever in doubt at any point along the way? Of course not. Of course not. You know enough about God to know that. Everybody recognizes that the joyful, laughing tone of the passage, um, that it, it has that flavor to it. But some scholars have, have noticed something slightly different. They've wondered, if, if there's not, why is there not even more celebration? I mean, after all, we've waited so long to get to this point of this birth. It's gone excruciatingly slow up to this point, and now it's here. We might expect for there to be way more celebration and partying. Why is there no, not more exuberance than we already see? Isaac's birth is huge. You know this. Well, if the narrator's excitement in telling these events is muted in any way, it's probably because he doesn't think that we should be super surprised by it. Things happen exactly when and exactly how God said they would happen. NBD. No big deal. God said it. Why are you so shocked? God's word has never, ever, ever been in danger of not being fulfilled. They've never been in doubt. Now, from our perspective, yes, they're, they're, we doubt them constantly. Okay? Unfortunately, we doubt the Word of God all the time. We stumble all the time over His promises. But ultimately, what, it, what is the objective, true reality about the Word of God and the promises of God? And that is that they are never in doubt. They are sure and certain God will do exactly what he says he will do, and he'll do it exactly when he says he will do it. And this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. And faith, think about faith this way, it's sort of like a time trick. It's sort of like a time trick. As the author to the Hebrews explains, he gives us a good definition. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen. Faith is having such a confidence in what God will do in the future that it's like you have the substance of that in your hands at the present time. It's kind of like deja vu, but backwards. I, I think. I don't know. Even deja vu analogies blow your mind. I, I lose track of it. But the bottom line is that by faith, certain that God is going to fulfill all of his promises to you, you can experience the blessings and the benefits of that future right now in the present. This means that you can presently laugh with the joy that results when God's word is fulfilled because it's going to be fulfilled. 
So enter into the joy and the laughter now. And, and this is amazing. What this also means is that you can have joy even in the midst of trials. Joy even when things aren't going so well. Do you remember what James commands? He, he says, he calls us to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So follow the logic of what James is saying. Okay, so I can have joy in my present trial? How? How, James? Well, because, because of what you know the Lord will do in the future, because of what you know, what you're certain that the Lord is going to do in the future, he's going to produce perseverance in you. That's not in question. And that perseverance is going to lead to maturity, to, to your completion, so to speak, in the faith. And then we say, but shouldn't I wait until I actually am complete, until I actually have this perseverance produced in, in me, till, till I'm living in the substance of that reality? Shouldn't I wait until God actually accomplishes those things? No. God will certainly accomplish those things if you are truly His. If your child, uh, His child, He's going to, He's going to most assuredly produce that in you. I'm confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That, that's, not a, that's not in question. The, the, the trick is that we can be so sure of that that we get to experience the joy that comes out of that already, right now, in the present, even in the midst of that very difficult situation that you are currently facing. Joy in the present based on a future fulfillment that is absolutely certain. Well, that's where joyful laughter comes from. Fulfillment of God's word, both the actual fulfillment of it, that produces laughing joy, but also the anticipation of that fulfillment of God's word, that also has potential to produce laughter and joy in your life. As to the next question, what does joyful laughter result in? We've seen what, what it results from, what does it result in? Well, let's, let's be honest. We weren't even really asking that question, were we? We were, we were actually just content to laugh and be joyful as an end in itself. We didn't think that there was any moving on from that. But it turns out that joy is actually a means to another end. And the passage shows us that joyful laughter, in the second place, results in obedience to God's Word. It, re, it results from the fulfillment of God's Word, but it in turn results in obedience to God's Word. And we see this especially in the actions of Father Abraham. Look at verses 3 and 4. What did Abraham do in this, in this state of joyous laughter it says and Abraham Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac now the narrator doesn't make this explicit but we we know from previous chapters that Abraham did not come up with that name on his own Isaac which means laughter was the name that God chose for this son. It was the name that God had commanded Abram to call him. And so Abraham is simply acting in obedience to the word of God. What else did Abraham do? Verse, verse 4. 
It says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. You see that that same form reappears there. And it helps us to understand that now Abraham is, Abraham is acting in conformity to the Word of God. This is, what, this is what confidence in the Word of God will do to you. It'll make you want to live in it and execute it and carry it out. If you're convinced that God is going to do what He says that He's going to do and how He says He's going to do, do it, that not only produces laughter and joy, but that joy ought to propel you to greater degrees of conformity to God's Word. You, you want to pour out your life living according to God's Word and according to His promises. This joy, this laughter ought to issue forth friends in our obedience or do you, do you do you believe the word of god i i know many of us uh flatter ourselves with the idea that we we revere uh what everything that god has said in his word we are people of the book we we love his word we love his promises but but the bible is actually really clear about how we can know whether we truly are people of the word and committed to it the way we think that we are, and that is if we obey it. I, I, I think I maybe prayed this. I, I pray it often for myself and for us as a congregation um, a, along the lines of what James commands us in James chapter 1, that we would not just be hearers of the word and, and deceive ourselves, but doers of the word, that we would put it into practice, that we would obey and this is, this is what joy can produce in us. Joy that comes from all of the ways that we have seen God prove himself through his word. And faith in, in, in the confidence that God is going to continue to prove himself and his word to be faithful in the future, that ought to propel us to conformity with that word, obedience to that word. And we see this uh, really clearly in... Abraham's response. It's a beautiful thing, and I commend it to you. I commend it to myself. Obedience. Obedience. All right, so let's move on. There, there's a different kind of laughter that we encounter in this passage. I mean, I, I had to deal with the, the wonderful, the positive one first, but now we come to a darker kind of a laughter. As that German theologian Kuschel said, besides that, that wonderful kind of laughter, there is also a mocking, malicious, desperate, cynical kind of laugh. And I wonder if you've ever heard this kind of laughter raised by people. I wonder if this kind of laughter is ever on your lips, or even if it's often on your Lips, you know the kind of kind of laughter that goes like this, where you're you're always like making a joke out of things, and you're always kind of cynically dismissing things. You know, there's a sarcasm that I love and appreciate, and and can be used for good, but there's also a, there's also a brand of sarcasm that is is really cynical and dismissive and faithless. And, and that is a disgusting kind of, of laughter. And we see this at a party that, Adam, uh, that Abraham has for a memorial, what, what you would call like a, a stage in Isaac's life. It's, it's that point where he is weaned. He can, he can be on solid food now, if you will. And this typically happens around in, in their culture around the age of three, uh, maybe even maybe even older. But anyway, this is a momentous uh, event. This is the boy standing on his own two feet and you know being able to to take solid food. And so Abram has a party. Um, verse eight: Abram made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But there was something else that was going on at that party. 
Not everyone was in on the, the laughter and the joy of the occasion. There was a different kind of laughter that could be heard from the wings of that tent. And Sarah saw it. Look at verse 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Laughing. And this provokes such a response in Sarah that you understand that this is not that um, Ishmael is, is just like really happy for his younger brother and he, he's in on the excitement of the day and he's into all the festivities. No, this is a very different kind of laughter. And the text doesn't specify the kinds of things that um, the older brother might have said. And you'll notice the older brother isn't even named in this passage. Uh, it helps us to understand that, that the focus of God's promise is resting on Isaac. Nevertheless, we have this other, this other son, this, uh, this attempt to execute the promises of God by the flesh. This is what gave rise to this older boy. And now he is laughing at his younger brother. And he's mocking. This is a jesting laughter that, that you can just imagine is making light of the fact that this little, this little puke kid here who's just freshly like taking solid food, that, that there's anything special about this kid, that, that God's favor and, and promise and blessing rest in any way on this little kid who's probably filling his diaper right now. And here's a 13-year-old, the oldest child of Abraham, that believes that he is the object of blessing that all of the wealth and the prestige and everything that goes along with his great father's household is going to come to him as the older boy. You can see that the Sarah is threatened by this. And, and she's wondering, is there, in, in verse 10, um, is it possible that the son of this slave woman is going to be heir? The, 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 the inheritance, the promises of God seem threatened to Sarah as long as this older boy is on the scene and he's making light of the promises that God has made to this little boy. And I, I just want to I, I want you to hear the, the sting of that laughter. And it, it, it almost has traces of we can almost recognize uh, the sounds that were coming from you remember the, the parable of the prodigal son? You remember when that blessed son w returned, the father held a great feast for him, and there was laughter, the joyous kind of laughter, but there was also hanging outside of the tent, not going into the party, was this other kind of a cynical sound. It was the sound of grumbling on the part of the older brother. Why is this kid so special? I'm... I'm, I'm the oldest son. I'm the special son. I haven't done anything wrong. And you know that that older brother is, is condemned and the younger brother has the right posture. Well, in the same way, in the same way, this cynical laughter that's coming from the older brother is what is shown to be disgusting in this passage. And you have to understand what, what kind of a sin this is. We, we're tempted to just dismiss that and say, oh, that's not a big deal. Older brothers do that all the time. You know, I was a horrible older brother to my younger sister. I picked on her constantly. And that's just what, I mean, it's, it's not great, but it's just what older brothers do. No, friends, this is sin. This is the same kind of species of sin. If you, if you want to kind of put things in categories to help, help you think more clearly about them, this is the kind of sin uh, that's similar to taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, that's one of those commandments that, that doesn't really come on people's radar as much. People are very comfortable, even people in the church, are very comfortable with using the high and holy name of God as a sort of expression, some cheap expression of when you're a little bit surprised or, or frustrated even. You're using the name of God? 
Well, that, that's despicable. You are, you are making light of something that is so heavy and high and holy. There's another sin that you can put in this category. It's the sin that's described as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which we are often confused about, but thankfully Jesus has made it really clear of what constitutes blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that is when you, you interpret and you declare about, about a work that is clearly attributed to the Holy Spirit, it's clearly the work of God, when you attribute that basically to the work of demons. That was the context that Jesus was originally speaking to. And, and uh, we, we commit that kind of a sin whenever we are, are, are looking at what God is doing and just dismissing it as, as trivial or, or worthless. Do you see why that's such a sin? This is God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ doing a great work by the Holy Spirit, and it's like pfft, nothing to you? In the same way, this older brother is just dismissing this little puke three-year-old who can't even barely eat. But that is, that's the work of God. That child represents the, the great and precious promises of God. And so Sarah's instinct here in verse 10 is, this can't go on. This boy and his, his mom, they have to leave. They, they can't be around. There can't be any kind of question about where the, the promise is going to land, where the inheritance is going to land. And I think we're tempted to think, oh, Sarah, we've seen you before, and when it comes to the whole Hagar thing, you're a little bit biased. You know, you're, you've always kind of been really jealous. That, that whole thing was your idea, by the way, but it, it went very badly, and this whole time you've been so mean to Hagar. You, you've, you've wanted her just out because you're so jealous and petty. We're, I think we're tempted to think that about Sarah um, in this case. We think, oh, she's being really harsh. But look at, look at verse 12. God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Abraham was displeased because he's caught between his wife and his natural-born son. And, and obviously he has affection for this boy. He, he wants to... He, he does not like the sound of, of dismissing this and cutting him off from everything. And yet the Lord approves Sarah's instinct in verse 12. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Ishmael must be banished. And the reason for this is because there is a, there, there, there is an, a total incompatibility between God's chosen and between the reprobate, if you put it in those terms. Between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to divine promises. Paul, the apostle, you'll remember, makes much of this distinction in Galatians chapter 4. And there he concocts an elaborate allegory based on this passage and on these two sons and how different fundamentally they are from one another because one represents the flesh and one represents the promises of God. And there is no mixing of the two. These things are totally incompatible and they must be separated. The one must be banished. There's, there's one sub-point under that second point. This, this kind of laughter where you're dismissing and mocking the promises of God requires banishment. There's no other way to deal with it. You can't, you can't play around with that. Must be banished. But then I want to show you very quickly as time is expiring, I want to also show you that this kind of laughter receives blessing. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't hear me say, because this kind of laughter receives blessing, you ought to really just go out and give yourself to this laughing, cynical jesting. No, I'm saying 
If you're a person that finds yourself often with this kind of laughter on your lips, raising this kind of cynical, dismissive, petty, malicious laughter, you should, you should understand that there is there's blessing for you to have. This has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the fact that God is gracious and merciful, that he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love and mercy. You see what happens here. The woman, Hagar, again with her son, is uh, driven out into the wilderness. There's deja vu all over again. This time, uh, Abraham gives her uh, water. It's not a lot of water, but it's basically as much as she can carry on her shoulders. And she, um, he sends her out with bread, this water. He obviously sends her out with the, the child, who is actually now probably in the neighborhood of 16 years old. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And then you have this horrible situation beginning in verse 15, the water's out and they're in the desert. And really the only thing that, that you can do is, is try to die as peace, peacefully and as dignified as you can. And Hagar couldn't bear the thought of watching her son die. So she leaves him under a bush where maybe there's a tiny bit of shade for his relief. And she goes a little way off, not even bearing to look, about the distance of a bow shot. There's a little glimmer of hope here. For she said, let me look not on the death of the child. And she, she sat op opposite him and she wept. That is, she lifted up her cry to the Lord. And this is the God who has heard her and responded to her in the past. And yet again, in verse 17, the Lord heard the voice, not just of her, but of the boy as he's moaning under that tree, under that bush. And the angel of God called to Hagar from the heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? As if the Lord doesn't know. But Hagar gives, gives voice to her, her concern, and the Lord is so gracious to, to calm her and to reassure her. And the reassurance comes when God declares that he has He's going to bless this boy. That this is not the end of this boy. Uh, this boy. Uh, he says, look, 18, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. What? Lord, what are you thinking? This is a, this is a punk kid who, who's, who's got that, that typical teenage sarcasm. It's just dismissive and mocking laughter. But God is going to make him into a great nation. And God's gracious to her and the boy. He opens up her eyes and she sees a well of water. And she refills her water. She gives the boy a drink. And look at this grace in verse 20. God was with the boy. God was with this mocker. And he grew up and he lived in the wilderness. He became an expert with the bow. Uh, he was about to... The image was like he, he, he's a bow shot away from being dead and now he becomes, under the blessing of God, someone who's skilled in, in archery and he's able to survive in this wilderness. And the mother took for him a wife in Egypt. Do you see, friends, the blessing of God? The Lord, this, this is a person, this is, this is a, an unbeliever, if we could put it into the terms that we're comfortable with. This is person, a person that is, is far away from, from the gospel. He's mocking the gospel, and the Lord is so exceedingly kind to him. Even though God's, God's purposes and his promises are all landing on Isaac, still he has such grace and mercy, and he blesses people that mock and laugh in his face. Why does he do this? Well, I think to showcase what a wonderful and gracious God that he is. I think it's so that we would, we would learn from the example of our Heavenly Father, and as, uh, as Jason alluded to earlier, that we would in turn bless our enemies, 
that, that, that we would actually show mercy and love and kindness to those who, who hate us and mock us. That, that passage that Jason referenced says that we become children of God when we do this. We're like our, we're like our Father in heaven. We resemble Him a lot when we dr- treat uh, a, a stranger to grace with grace and kindness and blessing. And also, I'll close with this, we, we do it in the hope that the Lord is in the business of changing people's laughter. Okay, so maybe, maybe if a person ha- is, is raising this kind of mocking, derisive, jesting laughter, maybe that's not the last kind of laughter that they're going to ever raise. Maybe that kind of laughter is going to be turned to joyful laughter. And the reason that I say that is because this is precisely what happened with Sarah. Do you remember just even a few chapters back? She was standing kind of behind the flap of the tent when there was a party going on. Here were some men that were were eating this meal and talking together. And one of the men said to her husband, about this time the Lord's going to visit and Sarah's going to have a son. And what was Sarah doing? What did Sarah say? What sound did she make? (laughs) It was a jesting kind of a laughter. It was dismissive. It was cynical. It was like, yeah, right. And do you see that her laughter has totally changed by chapter 21, verse 6? That is not down to just the personal development that Sarah Encountered. No, this is down to the incredible grace and kindness of God. He's so patient with us. And so we ought to be patient with others. We ought to have the, the words of the promise on our lips. We ought to be holding forth the word of God. We ought to make our testimony attractive by the fact that we are not hypocrites, but that we are actually obedient to the word of God ourselves. And then we just stand back and watch the Lord bless. Watch the Lord raise in our midst all kinds of joyous laughter for His glory. Amen? Amen.